we got one more, one more sermon left in our Sermon on the Mount, which is next week. And normally I don't, I don't deal with um, the, the holidays. If you, let you into my world for a little minute. Holidays are kind of tough on guys like me because you know what's coming, right? Christmas, you know what's going to happen before I ever preach on it. You know about Easter. You all know what's going to happen. It makes it really hard to, to try to figure out something to, to creative to say. And, but, but I felt like this year... That with all that we've been going through, uh, that the idea of, of giving thanks, well, that's pretty hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard when uh, the world gets really sideways. And uh, 2020 obviously has been very sideways. I don't know that <clears throat> normally Michelle and I aren't really uh, New Year's Eve celebrating kind of people. This year, I'm going to go stark raving nuts on New Year's Eve, um, hoping that that will somehow usher in a whole new year. Uh, I don't know what I might do on that night, um, but I'll try to keep it legal. Um, But uh, nonetheless, I I think we're all in that place right now of wanting a year to to go. And I want to, I want to, I want to talk to you about a few things this morning that are, are I think, very, very important. You know, as a, a, guy, a guy that does what I do is often referred to as a shepherd. And shepherds, uh, I, I read a book not long ago on shepherds. Um, I, I, don't, I think sometimes when you step in here at, into this place, you're, sometimes I, I come to you as a shepherd, some to you, sometimes a you know, you, you come as a prophet. Sometimes you come as a proclaimer. Uh, sometimes you, you come as a healer. Uh, there's different hats you wear. And, and today I'm, I'm wanting to come to you in that role of a shepherd. And, but there's one thing about shepherding um, that I've learned, even by reading books on it, is that shepherds often don't let the sheep eat where they want to. They eat where they need to. Because what happens is, if you, I, I read this book not long ago on a shepherd, and he talked about how if you let them, sheep will go and eat in places that can eat noxious weeds, and it can literally kill them. And so you're always having to watch for them to get into places. And it make, made me think a lot about this today. Today I'm going to talk to you about some things that I think are critical to help us with the story. We're going to talk about what story are you believing? What story are you believing? And, you know, one of the things I've learned about myself, I don't know about you, but I know human nature. In human nature, when, when life gets hard, I don't know what you do, but I know what I tend to do. And I'm not saying this to make you feel better about yourself. I'm telling you, when, when, when things aren't going my way or, or when things get really left and right, one of the first things I tend to do is look inward. You know, you start looking at what you're not getting. You start looking at how you're getting ripped off. You start looking at all you're having to forfeit. Or you start looking, when when you get squeezed, you start thinking about things that are holding you back. And uh, and that's, in this whole year, uh, one of the first things to go is is our outlook. Have you noticed, uh, even Michelle said it uh, months ago, she said, I think we're complaining too much. And, And I thought, I don't need you to tell me that. Who are you to tell me stuff like that? I didn't ask you to tell me that, you know, and and that was a joke. She's not, if I want her to know I said that, I'll tell her myself, okay? She's not in here right now, and, uh, but she was right, you know. I thought, you know, you're right. Um, I find, I find that we're complaining about things, and you tend to, to look inward a lot, but I want you to go back for a minute. Go back. You know, since the end of February, first part of March, really for, for nine, ten months now, you have been bombarded every day in social media, on the television, in the radio, nightly news, internet. You have been bombarded with a message that the whole world is falling apart. I mean, not, not just COVID. You've been bombarded with messaging of political unrest. You've been bombarded with what's going to happen to our country with an election coming up and now that we've had one. You've been bombarded with all kinds of racial issues related to George Floyd and and others. It has been been one of the most 
turbulent years in my life when it comes to the story that you're being told constantly, constantly. And, and one of the things I think that, that has happened in all of this that, that as I've sat back and just try to uh, look at it, you, you don't know this about me. I, I, my undergraduate degree is in sociology. Psychology is how individuals think. Sociology has always, it was, I chose it because it, it's, it's how masses think. Sociology is the study of how cultures or people think. And I've always been fascinated with what, what makes certain pockets of people think the way they do. They're, they're ingrained. If you've ever traveled abroad, you know cultures have ways of looking at things. And and so I, I've always been a little bit fascinated with, with, with what makes people believe what they believe. And, and as I began looking at the American landscape, one of the things that I, it just dawned on me is that for the last nine to ten months, the dominant storyteller has been the media. That's been the dominant storyteller. Think about that for a minute. Why is it that when, you know, I've, if you don't have kids yet, I, I, I encourage you, they're, they're wonderful, but I'm going to tell you, why is it that when your kids are really little, you don't even want them watching weird commercials because they believe what they see? They, they you know, think about it. You know, they, I remember... When, when Cole was growing up, he, we, we, uh, Wizard of Oz, we, who would have thought that those flying monkeys would be a story in the crew's home for like seven years? Because when the Wicked Witch showed up and the flying monkeys came, wow, that took a turn for the worse for us. Um, and so <clears throat> until he was you know, able to realize the flying monkeys weren't real, I mean, all the time we talked about, <clears throat> we couldn't even say the name flying monkeys in our house. I'm not kidding. Like the flying monkeys were a big deal, Right. So, so you, you start guarding your kids because you know they're impressionable. Well, you guys, we're impressionable too. And, and, and the story that you believe, it matters. In fact, I, I want you to burn this into your mind today. If you walk out of here with anything, just burn this into your mind. The story you believe is based on the author that you follow. Okay? I want you to burn that into your mind. The story that you believe is based on the author that you subscribe to. The story you believe is based on the author that you follow. And today, I, I want you to know, as I shepherd this topic, there's a risk in it. And I'm not afraid of that. But there's a risk in it for me. And I'll tell you what the risk is. The risk is always for guys, you know, it's, let me tell you, it is way easier to just you know, preach sermons right down the middle. But I had a, a wise, wise old pastor tell me when I was young in ministry, he said, he said, son, the only thing that lives in the middle of the road are yellow lines and dead armadillos. And I've never forgotten that. He was from Texas. Um, and, and, you know, I've never forgotten that. And the last thing that I want to do is to be unloving. The last thing I want to do is be unkind. But I want to tell you, as a shepherd, let me tell you what I can't do. Here's what I cannot do. I cannot sit by and let my people just be affected by one story and one storyteller. Because I will not let you have your mind dictated to you by pop culture media. My job is to stand in front of that. And let me tell you, every pastor I know right now, if you've got a friend that's a pastor, this isn't me asking for like gift cards to, you know, Connors or something, which is where I eat lunch a lot if you just ever did want to do that. Lighten up, y'all. I just talked about how I just ate too much. I'm not, I don't need more food. But I, every pastor that I'm talking to right now, we all feel, I've got pastors that I talk to from all kinds of denominations, I mean across the board, and all of us feel like we are in a fight right now for our people. We, I'm telling you, we all feel like we are in a fight protecting our people. You know why? Because I know what's going on, and it's real out there. COVID is real, but there's also a spirit of deception in our country. There is a spirit of deception, and I will not just stand by and let you be, let, let the only voice coming into your life be what CNN and Fox and everybody else has given you. There's a different story, and we're going to talk about it this morning. 
We're going to talk about that story this morning, but I want you to know that the, the risk at times is that if you offer a differing opinion, you're scorned. Do you notice that? Now, I'm not talking just about COVID, by the way. I'm talking about for, for many years, if you offer a different narrative, you're scorned. We live in a cancel culture. People now lose their jobs if they disagree with a policy in the corporate space. What you face in the corporate world is real. It is real. You, you risk offering a different opinion but I'm telling you, the story that you believe is based on the author you follow. And people are going to call. Listen, there's even people within churches. I haven't also spoke with a pastor yet who hasn't had people mad at him just for offering maybe a different opinion. To offering maybe a different way of, of looking at it because we're, the words are following, following all the time like this word responsible. That there, there's people that believe right now that, that if you're even gathering as a, in congregation at all, if you're even gathering right now at all, you're not responsible. There's a government that we have telling us right now that, it, that you're not responsible if you're doing what we're doing right now. But I want to tell you something. The same government that's telling you that this isn't responsible tells you that it is responsible to abort a baby. Let's think about that for a minute. Now, I'm not comparing COVID to abortion. That's, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the same government that is telling you that it's not responsible, and this is something that I'm, I'm going to keep bringing this up because this isn't the last time we're going to see this. The same government that tells you that you shouldn't meet in your homes and tries to dictate how many people came into your house for Thanksgiving which I don't even, don't even, I'm not even starting on that. <laughs> Stay focused. In March and April of this year, that same Board of Health in Knox County, Tennessee, was telling pastors they couldn't baptize people. Since when can the government interpret the New Testament for me? Friends, that had nothing to do with social responsibility. That had to do with just seeing how far they could go to tell the church what they can do. And I'll go to jail. I mean it. I'll go to jail before I let anybody tell me who I can baptize and who I can't. I'm telling you. I mean it. Now, I'm not trying to be a Rambo. But I'm, I'm just telling you, there's a different narrative out there. Because the same people that are telling me to be responsible also are telling me that it's okay to fly on a plane in a metal tube with a thousand of my best friends in recycled air in a pandemic. How's that responsible? If you've flown, hey, God bless you. You got faith. Some of you didn't have a choice with your job. The, 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 you know what cracks me up? I mean, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm putting on a sociologist hat for me. I'm looking at the whole world around me right now. I love football. I fight bringing up football illustrations in every sermon. I'd do it every sermon if God would let me, but he won't. But the, the, same, the, the same people that let foot people tackle each other and, and saliva and sweat falling all over the place, but the officials have got to wear a mask. You know, because you know what all this tells me right now? It tells me we really don't know what to do. I mean, really. We're doing the best we can. NFL's doing the best they can. You know, corporations are doing the best they can. You know, putting up shields in front of you. You know, when somebody had to stock the shelves, somebody's got to touch something. Everybody's just doing the best they can. And it's telling me that we really don't know what to do. And in times when we really don't know what to do, what do we do? Turn to the one that does. Turn to the one that doesn't, so that's what we're going to do. Nobody really has the answer right now. And I want to say this because I'm going to forget to say it, and if I don't, I don't, I don't want anybody to be mad. But I want to tell you something. If you think any of this this morning is about, we're going to talk about thanks and a mindset of thanks, and I'm going to get there in a second, but I had to set it up. And I, I want to say to you, in our population right now, you know, I looked at the CDC website just this, just this very morning. Based on what I took off the CDC, 79.58 by my math, and I used a Google calculator to do it too. It's a statistic figure, uh, figure or outer. Um, it's a big word. 
Um, 79.58% of the people that have died with COVID are over the age of 65. But you're not going to be told that very much. It's out there, but you got to go find it. Our senior, senior adults, I've been so proud of our senior adults. You know why? They've kept meeting. They do it on Zoom. They all had to learn how to do Zoom, especially Joe Denny, you know. Brian Hatcher's walked more, more of our senior leaders through Zoom. It's awesome. You know, they've kept meeting. All of you that are, that are senior adults over 65, I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of you for, you know, you're sometimes, I've seen some of you meeting and, you know, you're, you're just spread out and, you know, you're, you need each other. And, and I want to say I'm proud of you. you. You've been engaged in, and, and nobody, nobody wants to, listen, that's a, that, that, that's a different narrative if you're over 65. We all believe that. We got church members right now that have COVID. And, and I mean, friends of mine in this, in this church, it's not easy. I've had, I've, my, I've had family members get it. I, we're, we're, it's a weird time to be alive. It's just a weird time. But it's not the first time sickness has ever hit the world. And it's not the last time sickness is ever going to hit the world. And so what do we do when we don't know what to do? What do we do when chaos seems to be the narrative of the day? Well, the story you believe is based on the author you follow. And I'm going to tell you something. As I've talked with pastors, I'm asking, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And every one of us has said the same thing, that fear is not political and fear isn't medical. Fear is spiritual. Fear is spiritual. And so how do we engage a world like that? Well, we're going to this morning. So I'm going to talk to you about who are you allowing to write the story you're believing? That's the real question. Who are you allowing to write the story? So I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. It's in the very beginning of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. Now this is a great story. It's a long story about two men named Joshua and Caleb. Okay, And, and I, I thought, man, this is, this is really a great way to step into... I think this whole idea. And, 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 and a question I, I want to set in front of you this morning, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Uh, yeah, how do I keep a kingdom perspective in the middle of a culture of pessimism? How do I do that? Because I want to tell you, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm being completely transparent with you. I have had to fight more in my own head this year, maybe than I ever have. I've had to fight more, not just to stay positive, I'm talking about to remind myself of whose I am and what I am and where I'm going. And who, I've had to fight for my own, mental, my own mental health, if you want to say it that way. I think we all have this year. And, and so how do I keep a kingdom perspective in, in the middle of a culture that, that, that is scared? Well, let's read the story. It starts off in actually Numbers 13. I might have said 14. Numbers 13. There's one verse we're going to start out here. And this, this is the story. Let me, let me kind of set it up for you. Joshua and Caleb and the, and the, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, they're, 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 they're on the very edge. I mean, they have, they have run the marathon. They're right close to the finish line. And then God tells them, I want you to go spy out the land. Go look at the land. And so we pick it up in chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan. Now, by the way, Canaan is which God had promised to give him. He already promised. He said, which I'm going to give, you, give to the sons of Israel. So he reconfirms the promise again. Go look at the land. You know, you ever, you ever bought a house and like you do the walkthrough, right? You already, maybe you, you're looking at that or, you know, you, you, you've already decided that we're going to buy this house. Well, God had already told him, hey, I'm going to give you that property. I just want you to go look at it again. So he says, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribe, every one a leader from among them. And then it lists all these people. And then in verse 18, um, it, it, Moses tells the people, and he says, see what the land is like, whether the people live in it are strong or weak, few or many. How bad is the land? Or what's it like? Is it good? Is it bad? Are the cities in camp? Verse 20, is the land fat or lean? Meaning, you know, does it have uh, food to eat? What's it look like? So that's what happens. Joshua and Caleb, they, they go and do this. They go in and, and look at the, the, the land, and, and then they come back. And that's when it's Jerry Springer, okay, for all of the children of the 80s. Um, verse 25, 
Chapter 13, now when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron to all their congregation, the sons of Israel, and they brought back word with them to all the congregation. So they gathered everybody together and they showed them the fruit of the land. They actually brought back some fruit. And thus they told Moses, we went into the land. This is the spies. They sent out the recon team and they come back. Verse 27, chapter 13. It says, we went out into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. It is good. That's metaphoric for it. It's great. And and this is the fruit. We brought back proof. Nevertheless, here's where it gets weird and bad. The people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. They're very large. Moreover, we saw descendants of Anak there. Amalek. Now listen, the moment you mention Amalek, Israelites freak out. Okay? The Amalekites were like the special forces, right? They were good at killing. All right? And people, people feared them. So now all of a sudden they say Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. Oh. I remember my granddaddy talking in World War II about, I asked him all the time, what was it like to fight the enemy? And my granddad said, well, most of them, by the time we got into Germany, were older men and boys, and they were ready to quit. But from time to time, you would run up against SS, and that was a whole different deal. And those guys, they weren't playing around. And this is what Amalekites were. And Amalekites were living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea, and they're just rattling off all the enemies. And then Caleb, verse 30, he quieted the people before Moses. He settled them down. He said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. So Caleb stands up, and he speaks a different narrative. And this is how it goes in verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him, They said, we are not able to go up against the people. They are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report. Your Bible may say they spread a bad report from the land they spied out. And they said, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. I mean, it's going to kill us. And all the people we saw in the land were men of great size. There were also those of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers. In other words, we, we were tiny in their sight. And in verse, chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices, and they cried, and they wept. All night long there was crying and weeping. And the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will be plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And in verse 4, Moses evidently was a Baptist because he got voted out immediately. So they said to one another, let us appoint a new leader and return. They're kicking Moses out. And Moses and Aaron fell on their face in the presence of the assembly. They weren't falling on their face out of fear. They were begging God is what happened. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, who had spied out the land, it says they spoke to the congregation in verse 7, and it says the land which we passed through and spied out is an exceedingly good land. Don't believe what you're hearing. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he'll bring us into the land and give it to us. It's a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And don't fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them. Stone Moses and Aaron. And then it says, then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent meeting. Wow, that's a lot going on right there. So how do I keep a kingdom perspective? Does that not sound a whole lot like 2020? I mean, really. Have you noticed how mad people get right now? Why? We're tired. We're all tired. And we're fed up. We don't know what to believe and who's telling the truth. You know? We know there's things out there that are true. 
But I, I don't want you to be deceived. So how do I keep a kingdom perspective? Listen, nobody's, listen to me. Nobody's saying any of this isn't real. I am not a conspiracy theorist. COVID is real. Political unrest is real. Racism is real. There's a lot of things. But I want to tell you something. Don't you think for a second that there isn't a storyteller out there that wants to crank it up ad infinitum on every level. So I'm going to offer you something different this morning. How do I keep a kingdom perspective? Well, we're going to talk about how, how do we fight against this, man? Personally, corporately, well, I would say the first is demand righteousness from your mindset. See, the Bible says that you have the ability to control. I did a whole series on mindset this year. If you'll go to clearview.org and click on sermons and just search under the, the series called Mindset. I did a whole series on mindset. And, and listen, be, it, it's probably good to go back and listen to some of those and talk about the, the fact that the Bible says that I can take captive. What did Apostle Paul say? That I can take every thought, not just health-related thoughts, not just financially-related thoughts. I can take every thought. And I can make it under the control. I can take that thought captive for who Jesus Christ is in my life. See, I've been given. See, listen, listen to me. This is good news for you. When you became a Christian, the Bible says that the spirit of the old man was dead and the new life has, been come, has come to life. Who put that new life in you? The Holy Spirit power of God lives in you, friend. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have a choice of who you listen to. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. That's way better preaching than you're letting on today. I'm telling you, that's, that's good news. I've thought many times, I have, I, I've thought many times driving down the road, I would be a way different person to the negative right now if I didn't have the Holy Spirit's anointing on my mind. And you would be too. See, this is what God has given us, y'all. He's given us the ultimate weapon. He's given us the spirit of what? Truth. He's given us the spirit of truth, that we can decide what is truth and what is error. And boy, do we need it. So you can demand, you can demand righteousness from your mind. It, it'll free up how you look at things. One thing I loved about Joshua and Caleb is the story that you just read. You know, did you notice that Joshua and Caleb, they would not allow the crowd to dictate the story. They wouldn't. Look in verse 31. Of chapter 14. It's 13, sorry. When in, 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 in verse, 13, verse 31 of chapter 13, it says, When the men who had gone up with Joshua and Caleb said, We are not able to go, it is too strong, they're too strong for us, and they spread a bad report. You know what that, you know what that does for me? That's a big deal right there. Don't miss that. I, I, want, I want to read it again. Because there's a, there's a revealer in this verse, chapter 13, verse 31. This story covers several chapters. 1331. The men, some of the spies that went with Joshua and Caleb, the men who had gone up with them said to the whole congregation, we are not able. We are not able. You know what that reveals to me? It reveals to me who they were looking to for their capability. It reveals to me that, that they were looking to themselves to provide their own stamina. They were looking to themselves to provide their own strength. And I've said to you before, and I'm going to say it again. When you choose to live life on your own terms, you're going to get the best that you've got to offer. You're going to get the best you've got to offer. They chose to do it their way. And, and, and so this is, this is the fascinating thing to me. It's fascinating because there was something here going on that, that, that became toxic among the people. You can demand righteousness from your mindset. And Joshua and Caleb did that. I want you to notice something in, in verse 9 of chapter 14. When Joshua and Caleb are, are pleading with them to trust the Lord, they say something in verse 9 to me that is really interesting. And I put it on the screen in case you don't have a Bible with you this morning. They said, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Notice what Joshua and Caleb are saying. Listen, 
What those people that were offering the bad report, they were just trying to use what they would call sound judgment. For them, it was sound judgment. The people are too big. The army's too strong. They're going to kill us. They're going to kill our children. They're going to kill us all. We can't do it. But what Joshua and Caleb saw was something different. You see, the people thought they were giving sound reasoning, but Joshua and Caleb saw it as rebellion. And you need to take note of that. Joshua and Caleb said, no, this isn't, this isn't wisdom. This isn't wisdom. This is, not, this is not just good, responsible thinking. This is rebellion. This is rebellion. Only do not rebel against the Lord. You can demand sovereignty from your mindset. Friend, you have a choice what you believe. And the author that you follow will dictate what you believe. So how do we keep a mind, kingdom mindset in a, in a world at a time where we have to have it? Demand righteousness from your mindset, but also I would say demand sovereignty. Demand sovereignty from your mindset. <clears throat> this is something to me that I think is really easy to miss. And you'll read right past it in the story because there's a lot of different details here. You say, what do you mean, Jason, to demand sovereignty? What do you mean by that? That's a, that's a big theological word. What do you mean by sovereignty? This is what I mean by sovereignty, friends. We serve a God that is in complete control of everything. He's in complete control of your life. Listen to me. If you're, if you're out there, maybe you're listening from somewhere else today. Maybe you're far away and you're, you're worried. Maybe you're hearing this on a podcast months from now. I want, I want to say something to that. Everybody here at Clearview, maybe you're over in the chapel at a different venue here on campus. I, I don't know where you might be, but I want to say something to everybody willing to listen right now. If you truly are scared of COVID. I want you to listen to me. You are not going to leave this planet one day before God intended it. Listen to me. You're not. You you can't live in this kind of fear. No more than you can get behind the the, the wheel of a car and go, oh God, what am I going to do? You know why? You know why you don't do that when you get in the car? Because you're used to it. You know, just yesterday I was coming down I-40. Some dude on a, in a green Ford F-150 passed me 27 times between Memphis and Nashville. You know what? On his phone. Let me just shoot. I'm I'm going. I mean, I just I couldn't get away from it. It's like he was attracted to my Toyota. I mean, listen. That's scary. I, he was literally a grown man driving. I don't know if he was watching the Iron Bowl or something. You, you, but why do you not freak out behind the wheel of a car? Because you're used to it. We're not used to a pandemic. I understand it. We've all had to come to grips with it. We've all had to come to grips with political situations. You know, I hear the same. Some of you are fine with COVID. I hear some of you really freaked out about the presidential election. As if all of our future is determined by one political party. It isn't. It isn't. Our nation's fate may be determined by that. But I want to tell you, evangelicals, we've got a whole different set of idols sometimes. And one of our idols is we really do think that if we can just get a Republican in office, all is well. And it's not. There was all kinds of bad stuff happening in our countries with Republicans and a lot of the same deception that comes out of that party that comes out of the Liberal Party. Friends, we are not here to look at this world and trust what we see. We are here to look at this world and ask ourselves, do we believe that God is who he says he is or is he not? Because I want to tell you something. If God is sovereign, COVID is the least of your worries. I mean, really, COVID's bad. I don't want you to get it. I don't want to get it. But I can tell you, if God isn't sovereign, friends, sickness is way down the list of what could happen to me. Because then the world is random and God's not in control and watch out. Well, what did Caleb do? Look in this verse, the very first verse I read you this morning. 
It started with something that God said to Moses. Send out for yourself men so that they may spy on the land of Canaan, which I am going to give them. God promised victory before the war ever started. But don't you think, find it wild that they forgot that? You know, why, why did you, now what would cause Joshua and Caleb, what would cause those two guys to stand up in a whole congregation that wants to stone them? That is literally kill them, as in not metaphorically. Why would they have the guts to stand up in front of the people of God and offer a different opinion? Because they weren't standing up with something based on hope. They were basing that on a promise God made. God said, I'm going to give you this land. And they believed it. And they even went so far in chapter 14 to say, their protection is removed. Don't y'all understand? I don't care how big they are. It's the same thing David said when he saw Goliath. And all the guys were running. It said Goliath would walk out and he would shout at the army of Israel. And they would literally run. And David comes up. And I love this line because it reveals David's mindset. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that shouts threats at the people of God? That's about as close to to Old Testament cussing as you can get. Okay? And he doesn't need to, somebody tried to give him a big sword, I don't want your sword. Somebody tried to give him a shield, I don't want your shield. Give me a rock. And then he cut his head off with his own sword. Right? That's why we love the story. Why why could David do that? Because David knew who the sovereign God of heaven was. He had a sovereign mindset. See, that's based on a promise that God made. It's based on a promise God made. I love chapter 14, verse 24. If you've got your Bible open, this this is a big revealer of why Caleb could do this. God was speaking after all this is over, and Moses has been pleading with God, and 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 God says something about Caleb. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I'll bring him into the land which, which he will enter. And his descendants will take possession of it. Caleb had a different spirit. Oh, don't you love that? What does that tell you? Caleb chose to believe a different author about the world that he saw. Some of you are worried right now about your jobs. You're worried what's going to happen with your corporation. You're worried what's going to happen in the economy. Can it hold up? What's going to happen next year? You know, are we going to see all kinds of political unrest and demands from a government that that seems to be wanting to take more and more? That's the plan. Take more and more freedoms from Americans. I'm going to say to you, friend, God is in control. God is in control. Caleb had a different spirit. You see, I I don't know if you realize it, but... These people forfeited some things. They forfeited the promised land on all this. And Caleb said, no, I'm not going to believe that. I, I, I had this thought this week, and, and, and it, Caleb's, Caleb's words really, really reminded me of something. He says he had a different spirit. And, and, and the thought I had in my head was when, when God writes the story, your present is never permanent. When God writes the story, your present is never permanent. And some of you right now, you're going through some really weird times, maybe even in your, in your marriage. You've got some things you're, you're really worried about. Maybe some things right now that are, are kind of unrested and unhinged in your own personal life. And I'm going to tell you, when God is the author that you follow, your present is never permanent. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. Your present is never permanent. God is always moving and he's always revealing the path, if you want to follow it. This is something that kind of fascinates me a little bit. It, it says in verse 30 of chapter 13 that when they, when they said the name of the Amalekites and the, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites, I mean, that's like every enemy Israel's ever had. In verse 30 of chapter 13, it says, Caleb quieted the people. He quieted them. They were freaking out, panic-stricken. Let me me ask you a question. When When God said, go out and spy that land, do you think God didn't know that the Amalekites were already over there? 
You, you, you think God went, oh no, I forgot about the Jebusites. Maybe y'all shouldn't go. What do you think? You, you, you think God was somehow caught off guard by any of this? No. He knew what was over there. He already knew it. I wonder if God just wanted to see if they knew it. I wonder if God just wanted to see if they believed. God knew what he could do. We look at the miracles of God sometimes and we're like, oh, wow, what a miracle. God parted the Red Sea. And I think God's like, well, I made it. I can split it. It's not hard for him. No, God knew exactly who was in that land, and he had already given it to him. It was irrelevant. It was irrelevant, but I do want you to notice something. Notice in the story how fast fear and panic swept through a group of people. Notice how fast. Notice, notice this. Notice how the unbelief of a few affected the whole tribe. I want you to let that sit on you for a minute. Notice how the unbelief of just a few affected the whole tribe. Friends, that stuff matters. What we speak, what we say matters. That's why we are called to have a mindset that is, that is truly pointed toward the Lord. I said, demand sovereignty. Demand that your mindset is, is one of righteousness. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews 12, look at this verse, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. You know, fear can be a sin. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's a mindset. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author who is he? The author, the perfecter. He's the author of the story, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand at the throne of God, fixing our eyes. We are told to fix our eyes on Christ. Demand that your mindset is sovereign. Demand that your mindset is righteous. And I want to give you today what I believe is maybe the chief weapon of all in times of turbulence, chaos, and uncertainty. Demand gratitude from your mindset. Demand gratitude. See, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean, Jason? Well, it's really hard to be thankful um, when, when a lot is going on. It's really hard to be thankful when you see things going a way that you didn't see them going. But 1 Thessalonians tells us something about the will of God, the actual will of God. Look at this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Now look at this part of the verse. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You know, we, we, we really do obsess about God's will as Christians. What's God's will for me? Well, the Word speaks to that. And, and one, one of the areas of God's will for you is that we have a, a thankful mindset, a very thankful mindset. Now, let me tell you how this plays in to, to this. It, it, it says in, in verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 11 of Numbers, that the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite the signs which I have performed in their midst? You, you can't spurn something that you love. It reveals to me, I, I don't think a large part of those people ever loved God at all. Because you can't hate something that, when it doesn't go your way. The will of God for us in Christ Jesus is an attitude of thanks. You, you know, let me tell you why this story I think is... It just, it just keeps getting better when you put yourself in the context of the story. These people were at the, in Kadesh Barnea. They were at the, that's, a, that's like a, think of like, a, if you were trying to get into Franklin, think about you were in Arrington. 
actually closer than that, right? You were closer than Arrington. You were, you were just like right about 840 on the south end. I mean, you could, you could see the homes. They had gone through the Red Sea, and God killed Pharaoh's army. They couldn't see to travel at night, so God gave them a fire to travel by. They couldn't see to travel in the daytime, so God gave them a cloud. They were starving, so God rained down manna and bread. They were stuck at the Jordan, and God parted the waters. Miracle. They were, but here's the, here's the interesting thing to me. They were slaves. They were being beaten tortured, abused on every level, taken advantage of. And they were right on the edge of, they were free people. And yet they said, we would rather be captive in slavery than to go through this. It is mind boggling. And not only that, they were, it's like a marathon is 26.2 miles. I've never run one, don't intend to. I think that's for weird people. But it's 26.2 miles, 26.2 miles. And imagine being at 26.0 and the, the, the finish line is right there, right? And, and you say, this is stupid. I'm going home. I don't lie, I never did like these shoes. And I'm tired and I'm hot. Man, if, I am, if I'm at 26.0 of a 26.2 mile, I am going to army crawl across that thing if I have to on my belly. They were right there, right there. I mean, they could almost taste it. And they said, let's go all the way home. What did that to them? What in the world? These weren't uneducated people. They were not stupid people. They were not just anti-intellect type of human beings. What would make them do that? Fear. Fear. Fear will lie to you. Don't you, you know what? Don't you think that you would have been like Amalekites? I I just watched all the Pharaoh's army go through a parted ocean only to watch it cover them. It's one of the greatest days of my life. I don't, we just, what we should do is send a delegate in there and say, hey, all y'all want to die or you want to live? It's your choice. Just send one person. We're coming, fellas. I mean, you would think their arrogance would be out the window with size. No, they wanted to go back. Why? Because they couldn't be thankful. Notice that fear didn't just rule their eyes. It didn't just rule what they saw. It ruled their mouth. It ruled their mouth. It said they spread a bad report. They were so afraid. It didn't just... See, see every day when you get up, you have a choice of how you want to look at the world. And so when you put on your lenses for the day, it's not just what you see, but what you see interprets what's in your heart. And Jesus said what comes out of the mouth was what was in the heart. Fear was in their heart. And it came out their mouth. And it also told them, told their eyes. It interpreted. See, your life will follow the story of the author that's writing it. Your life will follow that. So the will of God for you is thanks. Thanksgiving. To be, you know, I, I, I got back in the habit this morning mainly because I was, I, I had to jump on y'all because um, I knew what was coming in the sermon. Um, for, for a long time, I, I had this habit that b- before I would get out of bed, I would say this one sentence to God. And it would go something like this. God, frame up what I see today. Frame up what I see. Let joy. I will, I will often ask God for joy. And it's like a very short prayer. I don't, I don't pray well early in the morning. Two, cup, two cups of coffee and I get better. No, it's really the truth. But right before I hit the ground, I want, I want my eyes and I want my mind 
And I want my heart to be shaped by a kingdom perspective. So this morning when I got up, I was like, God, I hadn't said that in a while. You see, you think I'm just joking with you when I say that sometimes all we do is look inward when things don't go out. I do it too. I do it too. So this morning when I got up, I'm like, God, give me a mindset of joy today regardless of what I see. Because joy is not happy. Happy is a new vehicle until you make the payment. Right? Joy is detached from circumstance. Joy is detached from context. So the greatest weapon that I think you and I have got is God's will for our life to be one that is thankful. Friends, let me tell you something. The greatest enemy you, not, you have right now is not a medical enemy. It's not a political enemy. It's not an economic enemy. The greatest enemy an American faces is the wrath of God on sin. And Jesus went to the cross, and he came out of the grave so that we wouldn't have to be afraid of death. He went to the cross, and he took our sins on himself so that we could live with a free heart. And I'll tell you, everything after that, it might be a struggle, but nothing's going to get close to what the power of sin on an unforgiven person is going to do to them. We, however, are the followers of Jesus Christ. And you can get up every day saying, if today's my last day, then praise God. It's what we give people like Paul the ability to say, it's better for me to go, but for your sake, I have to stay. See, that's a mindset of thankfulness. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.